here at Allens, they want you to learn and they want you to enjoy yourself. Go for it and keep your mind open. But a mentality of celebrating difference. Pro bono is a really important element. You play a pretty critical role. The work we do towards reconciliation, sustainability and philanthropy. God, my friends have taught me so much during this experience. Got off the train and I was like, Elle Woods arriving at Harvard. <laughs> I was just like, this is my moment. If you have a smile on your face and you're willing to get stuck in and apply yourself, then you'll bring so much value. This is Alan's Confidential. Welcome back to Alan's Confidential, everyone. It's your host, Caitlin Burke, and I'm so glad you've joined us today. I am thrilled to introduce my colleague, Kirthi Ravi, as our guest for this episode. Kirthi is a senior associate in our Sydney Disputes team. She's also a founding member of the Allen's Cultural Awareness Network, and in 2019, Kirthi founded Diverse Women in Law, a non-for-profit organisation that has already reached thousands of women from diverse backgrounds to provide mentoring and networking opportunities to foster a more supportive and inclusive legal profession. Kirthi is also a new mum, so her generosity in agreeing to put up with my ramblings all afternoon cannot be understated. Welcome, Kirthi. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thanks, Caitlin. It's really nice to... Yeah, I was going to say being a new mum, that also means that's probably the first adult conversation I've had in about five months. So if I, you know, transition into baby voice or mum voice, I'm sorry, but we'll see how we go. I was going to ask you actually, how are you? That's the first thing I want to ask. How are you emotionally, physically? How has the last six months been? Oh, it's it's been a roller coaster to say the least. Just everything's a bit of a blur, to be honest. I might just take the last twenty four hours and tell you that I managed to get at least four hours sleep, which was a wonderful change to the to the first few weeks of having our son. But uh, motherhood is such an exciting journey. It comes with its ups and downs and challenges. And no matter how much you read and how much support you might have, it's such a unique experience, and it throws all sorts of challenges along the way. So I, I am loving it. It is a steep learning curve. It tests your patience. It really makes you very resilient, but it is, it's a very exciting time. First of all, I'm amazed four hours sleep and I absolutely wouldn't be able to string a sentence together. So you've already impressed me. But the way that you speak about it, I mean, I, I know you, you've always been a queen of multitasking and that's been one of the things I've noticed about working with you is that you often manage to spin a thousand different plates simultaneously. Do you feel like being a mum has kind of taken that up to a new level? Oh, totally. I think one of the things about motherhood is if you weren't a multitasker before or if you thought you were a good one, this will make you, <laughs> this will test you on a whole new level. It's funny because I, I really take issue with the concept of the word leave in maternity leave. It's the opposite of maternity leave. It's the maternity bloodbath, as someone told me recently. <laughs> you have finite time to get things a thousand percent right. And sometimes when you go to work, you can have a bit of an off day because you haven't slept much. You've had a late night. I can't afford to do that anymore. I've got to have my A game on, you know, every second of the day because the baby notices. It can tell. It can read your mood. So it does refine your ability to prioritize and multitask, know what needs to be done in what order. It makes you, I think, develop such a unique type of emotional intelligence that I never really needed to in the past. And really, I think I've been tested and challenged in, on a, such a different level compared to, compared to the past. So, Kithi, I've also always loved working with you because you speak a lot about your life outside of the law. And in addition now to being a mum, I know that you're a dancer, a Japanese speaker, a musician, a volunteer and a jazz, blues and soul fanatic. I want to dig into that a little bit more. First of all, how do you make time? How do you prioritise that? And second of all, why do you think that law students and lawyers 
should make time for this in environments that often don't naturally leave those gaps of time? Good question. I'll take your first one and give you a very cliche response to start with, which is I think you'll always make time for things that you're really passionate about. But, you know, that being said, we all lead very busy lives. Work is obviously not a nine to five gig all the time. And you do need to find ways to make sacrifices and say no to things. But it's really simple thing for me, Caitlin. I I think my life outside work and inside work, it's not it's not mutually exclusive. I bring all of those interests and experiences and things I'm passionate about to my job in a very real and transferable way. And it's something I really like talking about because I think there is still this concept of, okay, we've got all these great things going for you. Let's park it. Now you're entering the building. It's time to be a serious mm-hmm. lawyer and do your job in the most professional way that you're aware of. Whereas I've tried to resist that, not at all stages of of my life, but certainly when I had mentors and role models and support telling me to do so. And I noticed such a difference in the way I practice. Mm -hmm. I noticed a difference in my mental health, the sort of people that I surround myself at work with. So I think if it makes you happier and it makes you a better worker, why wouldn't you want to talk about it? I love doing so as as you're aware. And I think I've probably done it to you and and many other colleagues of mine without even realizing. Do you think that keeping part of ourselves away and kind of segmenting our life can have sometimes a detrimental effect of stripping away our identity and making us feel less comfortable in certain spaces? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Often what your experiences are outside work can have a real impact emotionally, the type of sort of mind space and space you might be in on a particular day. There's really positive things that people do outside work and it really enhances your work abilities. As I was saying to you before, it's actually made me a better worker. Being able to talk about things that I like helps me connect with my teammates a little bit better than I might have otherwise. You know, it allows me to bring kind of a unique uh, lens into the sort of work that I do, connect with clients a little bit differently. I think you would be selling yourself short for starters, but also if there are things going on outside work that might have a different impact in yourself by leaving it at the door, you're not really bringing your, uh, I guess, your A-game, you know, to your job. And I, and I do think that can have a detrimental impact, yes. Yeah, right. I suppose this is on a slightly different but related note. I've heard you describe your former self as somewhat of a cultural double agent. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think when I started in the profession, it, I, I felt very isolated at times. And I didn't probably even realize it at the time. I do now when I reflect back on things that I did and how I conducted myself. And I didn't really have many visible role models. I didn't see any women from similar backgrounds to me with you know similar sort of family networks and support networks work in the law and work in law firms. And so I really felt like I had to fit into a mold and what maybe the profession expected of me. And then I was a completely different person when I got home and when I was with my friends and family. Um, And I think, unfortunately, because there is still such a gap in the profession, many people from diverse backgrounds find themselves in a similar position. I mean, the impact it had on me is, I think, I, I didn't sell myself enough as I could have. I think I had lots of untapped areas and talents that obviously didn't get explored in, in the few years that are still trying to get a foot in the door and get a footing in, in the profession. And unfortunately, it also meant that people on the other side of the fence, my colleagues, people I was working for, didn't get to really know the real me either. So it took me a long time to get that confidence to then feel open and vulnerable and talk about things that I liked because I, I really wasn't sure if it would be recognized and accepted in the way I would have liked it to. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And speaking about your position in that is one thing, but also I, I think it's super important to reflect on that system and that environment that mm. you're in. How do you think, I mean, the, the, the disparity between the Australian legal profession and wider society that, that we represent is huge. And we're still at you know, very early stages of being able to or attempting to resolve that. How do you think the legal profession should tackle the complex issue of, of poor cultural competency and what impact do you think that could have on the profession and on Australia? It's um, yeah, big questions there, Caitlin. Huge I'll try, questions. I'll try and answer it to the best of my ability. I think to be able to really resolve the issue, I think we need to have the awareness to start off with that there is an issue. And unfortunately, I still think we're at step one in many aspects. Having that awareness of what culturally diverse people, um, people with, I guess, really rich backgrounds can bring to the profession is step one. It is so valuable. It is something that will uplift the profession and, and enrich our lives in such a meaningful way. And it's easy for me to talk about it. I've got that lived experience and I'm very proud of it and I'd like to share as much as I can. But that's where you need champions and allies to step up because they do dominate the majority and particularly in positions of power in the profession to take that extra step to understand how important and valuable it is. I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think we are getting there. And I think that step one is happening in many aspects. But we need to really see that it is so good to have people from different backgrounds in our lives and in, in this profession. You know, speaking about my own journey and myself and what my background has taught me, I was born overseas. I attended international schools in two different countries before I came to Australia. You know, before the age of 10, I had such amazing exposure to different cultures and languages and practices. With that comes, you know, a, a really unique way of thinking. It, it, you know, builds your communication skills. Um, it allows you to connect to people with a level of EQ I don't think I would have learned otherwise. And then, you know, you're a new migrant in a, in a new country. You see the sacrifices that your parents make for their children and to set up their lives. And that instills in you a really fierce determination to work hard and to succeed and to have that really grilling work ethic. I mean, these are all qualities that make a fantastic lawyer. So if we had that recognition and found a way to tap into it in a really unique way, I think that would completely change the legal landscape. And so going back to your question, if we, if we were to recognize this as a first step and you know, people at all stages of the profession, whoever you're interacting with, and made that effort to connect more meaningfully and recognize what culturally diverse people have to offer. I think in turn, competency will, will soar, it will get mm. better, that'll then have the impact of having more culturally diverse people feeling, you know, comfortable and wanting to be part of the profession. I mean, so many people opt out before it's even step one. And I think that would really mm -hmm. change. And then you'll see the more systemic change that we're really after. You'll see more representation. We're hoping to see more people in positions of power and in the corridors of power, really from different backgrounds, hopefully occupy them in the future. But I think there is still some way to go to get there. And, and how do you think storytelling plays a, a part in this, if at all, on both sides? Storytelling, I think, is such a really raw and authentic way to make those strengths that I've been talking about known. I think sometimes, particularly when I was, you know, applying for applying for positions, applying for clerkships, you know, meeting people for the first time, it really isn't in me to sit there and talk about myself and talk about my strengths in a, I guess, more black and white mm -hmm. way. But when you tell your story and you talk about your journey, and like I just did with you there, where I grew up, how I 
you know, came to this country, you know, the things that I witness every day, you know, what family means to me, it creates a really nice narrative around what sort of person you are. It gives the person that's hearing the story more context about you. I think it helps to alleviate to some degree some unconscious bias that someone might have had compared to like different mediums in which you can get that outcome, whether it is talking to someone, you know, hearing a story, attending a seminar, reading a book. I think hearing it firsthand from someone with lived experience is the most powerful way. So I think it really will help if, if we were to make time and space for people to tell stories and people were willing to share, we would see a really big change. I love that concept of I mean, talking about storytelling while we're telling stories is a bit meta, but equally, I think it's such a great thing to recognize because we are innately storytelling creatures and we respond and react to stories in a way, like you say, that's different to other mediums and offers an element of connection there that perhaps is more powerful than those ingrained biases that we might have or systemic kind of boundaries. Has any of this played into your role and the role of the Cultural Awareness Network at Allens? And, and what kind of steps and objectives do you have with the CAN? Yeah, I mean, as the name suggests, the primary goal of CAN was to raise awareness at the firm. So one of the things that I, I did notice when, when I started working and, and so did the other founding members was that there was a gap in this space. And we've done some really amazing work with different committees uh, and different groups. We have such an interest in pro bono and social justice work. And it just seemed to me kind of an, an obvious next step that we, we create a space, a safe space for people from diverse backgrounds or culturally diverse backgrounds to talk about their experiences. But it's a space where I should emphasize everyone's welcome. The whole point is to raise awareness across the whole firm so that everyone can learn a little bit from each other and learn from, you know, culturally diverse people and the experiences that they have. So we came together, a group of us, all culturally diverse, talking about what this network might look like. And we've got a, a solid plan of you know, where we'd like to take it over the next couple of years. It is really still at its sort of initial stages. So the first thing that we did was run a really big networking mentoring program where we got groups of people together across the firm to talk about their experiences and share ideas and really like we've talked about tell stories and that's been really well received. So I think that's a element of CAN that will continue into the future, this concept of mentoring and support and finding a way for all of us at the firm to boost our cultural competency together. In addition to that, there are other priorities that CAN has to be able to connect with the community more broadly, work with clients and, and find ways to have discussions with our clients and stakeholders as well about what they're doing in this space. We've got a big focus on storytelling as a sort of a separate concept, not just through the mentoring piece, but also through running panel discussions on bias, imposter syndrome, and, and how we can raise that awareness across the firm, what people go through. It's my call to action. I, I'm, I'm shamelessly going to pitch to anyone that's hearing this and interested to come and work at Allen's is please take an interest in CAN. It's rare that you often join a big firm and you're part of a committee that's just starting and you have that real opportunity to jump in, get your hands dirty, shape the vision and the future direction of something. And we'd love to have you. So it, I should say the goodwill and the interest has been off the charts. So it's been it's made all the all the more difference. We've had a lot of buy-in and a lot of interest across the firm as well. Yeah, it sounds great. And I know that it's been really visible as well, the traction and the pace of this initiative and 
how it's a real testament to the founders, but also, as you say, a lot of our committees at Allen's are fueled by junior lawyers too. And, and I think that pitch was spot on there. It's the, it's the best way to get involved in areas of the firm, but also really important work that's not, you know, a, you're not billing a client, but you're doing something that's really important. I think we're going to see great things from CAN. So, Keithy, Diverse Women in Law has been running for a few years now. What has the feedback been like from those that you've engaged with so far? Yes, Diverse Women in Law has been, I think, one of my absolute highlights uh, of the last few years. I never really expected it to take off the way it has. But I think what it really has signaled to me is that there is still a gap in seeing visible role models in the profession. So I predominantly engage with law students in the DWL capacity. We are focusing on senior lawyers as well, but majority of our membership base is still law students. And the first thing they say to me is, you are the first person that I've seen in my entire adult life that works in the law from a similar background to me. And that's made me even you know, take that step of applying to a firm like Allen's or, or another firm. And so it's a really kind of humbling I think concept, but also a stark realization that we need to keep doing that. We need to keep having those conversations and doing a bit more active role modeling. So what I see in a lot of our young students and mentees and young members is that they've had the most amazing journeys and unique journeys and amazing stories of resilience throughout their entire life. Again, going back to my point about you know, how valuable that is to the profession. I, I can't think of a more perfect candidate that, you know, I would I would love to work with, I'd love to have in my team that I can see doing a really good job. What DWL is doing at the moment is working with women like that to enhance their confidence, you know, helping them get a foot in the door, selling themselves in a really authentic way, which is, again, sometimes can be a challenge for many people that, that haven't really been exposed to this before, but also simultaneously having conversations with law firms and with our industry counterparts on how to foster a more inclusive atmosphere for students to feel empowered to, you know, apply and, and, and get a job and stay in the profession. So I'm very proud of its efforts and couldn't have done it without the incredible support network that we have around us. But I, and, and I'm really hoping to see a more tangible change as a result. Yeah, it's doing some fantastic work. I've been very lucky to attend a couple of DWL events and I'm blown away every time by how exciting they are and, and how amazing it is to connect with so many women and yeah, hear their stories and perspectives and, and kind of, I guess, forge a way forward in a world that's not always set up. I must say, you, you were one of the first people, or I should say maybe first, but even last year, the year before, when we needed volunteers for a particular event, I remember coming to you and asking you <laughs> for help. And again, it's a space where champions and allies are really welcome. We need them to walk along the journey with us to see the change that we're after. And I think I gave you sort of two nights notice before you jumped you know, on board with an event and helped. And you didn't have to do that. You know, you didn't have to say yes. I'm sure you had lots of things on your plate, but it drives home for me that importance of mentorship and sponsorship and taking that interest and, and really supporting your culturally diverse counterparts to help achieve their dreams and to help them, you know, find a footing. So, you know, I really appreciate that. And, and a lot of people that we've seen come along the way, you don't need to have that lived experience to make that difference. If someone listening would like to get involved in Diverse Women in Law, how might they go about that? Well, we have a website. We do lots of things and say lots of things on social media. So sign up as a member. I think that's the easiest way to make sure that you're keeping up to date with events and activities. There are obviously events that are restricted to diverse women, but there's lots that you can come and attend and, and hear those stories, be a mentor, you know, help champion initiatives at your own firm. We have over 10 firms now as our corporate sponsors. So 
you know, if you work at one of them, there'll be opportunities for you to get involved. But, you know, it's a strength in numbers sort of journey at the moment. I think that's how we're really going to see that change. So, yeah, I'd love to have as many people involved as possible. There you go. You heard it run. Don't walk to sign up as a member. I can, I mm-hmm. can uh, verify that it's a, it's a great choice. Whilst you're giving advice about which committee to join, I need to ask you as our final question, which we ask a lot of our guests, if you were to give advice to yourself as a, a law student or a graduate or someone in between starting out their legal career, what would you tell yourself? What I would really like to tell myself is just realize how valuable you are to the profession and sell yourself in the most authentic and unique way that you feel comfortable with at that point in time. And I've got to be careful in saying that because, again, it is going to take some time for, I think, the profession to completely embrace and uh, we see the representation that we would like of um, different people from different backgrounds. So I think it is a paced journey for many people. It would have, you know, someone had told me when I was really young that you just have to be yourself, walk in, do what, you, what you'd like and say what you'd like and that's all you need to do. I think I would have found it very uncomfortable to do so. But I think the first aspect I would have really liked to recognize is that my diversity is such an asset to the profession. Like I've said, the unique experiences and background that I've had is exactly what's going to make this profession better. Um, It's going to have such an impact on the type of work that I do, the way I connect with my colleagues and really um, improve my practice in, in such a meaningful and authentic way. And in doing so, find those champions and allies and mentors that are going to help you in that journey. So again, they do exist. There, there are a lot more people that are coming through the profession now with that really keen interest in giving back and mentoring. You know, committees like CAN did not exist when I started as a law student. So they do exist. So please find them and lean on them and use them to support you and help you through this journey. And then my final thing is ask more of the profession. I think there is often when you start and you're quite young, you feel that sense of power imbalance with you know, where you're potentially going to work for and the people you might be with. But it again comes down to that principle of you've got really valuable ideas. You have so much to offer. So ask the profession to meet you halfway. We had this idea about CAN. We didn't we did sit there and think about it for a while on how to approach it. But all it took was a couple of conversations and speaking to the right people. And the response was fantastic at Allen's. And we were able to set and this committee up and running in a few months. So I think that's where that we're going to have to keep aggressively pushing for change for the next little while. I think it can be really rewarding. And it's something that I would really encourage everyone, regardless of what stage you are at your legal journey, to, to do so. That's sage advice. Thank you, Kirti, so much for your time today, for all of your insights, everything you do at the firm. We're so grateful to have your perspective and I can't wait to see you again soon. I hope you get some sleep tonight and a huge thank you again uh, from us here at Allen's Confidential and all of our audience today. It's been a pleasure having you. Great. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks for having me.